All right, so please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. That's Romans chapter 12. All right. So our theme this morning is evidence number one, because the series we're dealing with is the evidences of a faithful believer, the evidences of a faithful believer. So we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, evidence number one, fulfilling personal duties, all right? Fulfilling personal duties. Now, as I come to this, I just want to say, this is not a checklist ordeal, Right? This isn't what you, if you wake up in the morning, if you're anything like me, um, in the past I, I really struggled with procrastinating. And so they designed these really cool apps these days. I mean, we live in a digital world. And there's this app called Todoist. And in Todoist, you can log a repeat cycle of certain tasks you want to do every day and at what time you want to have them done. So with Todoist, um, I get to ensure my quiet time is, is ticked off. And, but it's a checklist, right? So if I'm only doing it to check off the list, then what faithfulness is there? It becomes legalism. So as you look at this theme and you see it says, fulfilling personal duties. Don't start writing a checklist of, hey, I, I have this desire and this desire. Wait. Wait with your checklist, because it's coming. Now, just uh, to introduce the series, this series on the evidences of a faithful believer is for your benefit as individuals, all right? But it's also for the benefit of the church. So the analogy I want to use is a circle. And this little circle starts with you, your little bubble. I, I know people have love to refer to you're in my bubble you're in my space you're in my circle you know get him get out of this personal space of mine but here's the thing the circle has to expand the circle is much bigger than just you however it starts with you it, it's i heard a friend say this once and it stuck with me we love to talk about revival and we want to pray for revival. We want to see revival. I mean, have you read of, on, on, about some of the greatest revivals we've seen throughout our history? Revival in, in Wales and Scotland where policemen were out of jobs. There's no crime. So they would form choirs and, and would sing on the street corners. And that's a revival. And, and we long to see revival. We pray for revival in our country. Some churches pray for revival within the church. The reality is, friends, revival starts in this little circle. Revival starts with me. It starts with you. But this circle has to expand. This little bubble of yours has to expand. So I'm not here to burst any bubbles. I'm here to help you grow your bubbles but here's the thing, there's a problem in the church today, and that is we don't want to expand these bubbles. We want to keep to ourselves. 
we come in on a Sunday morning, slip in the, into the pew and kind of just sit down and wave from a distance. We don't want to involve ourselves on a weekly basis. We don't want to involve ourselves by taking the initiative and contacting those around us. It's as if we wait around for someone to reach out. And when they do, just give two cents. It's kind of just, here, this is all I can give you from my personal space. More than this, culture, our culture around us creeps into the church where our teenagers are walking around singing songs that talk about loving myself, about taking care of myself. Teen girls, you know what I'm talking about. We, we speak about this every Friday. You know, they ask me, Pastor, do you know this song? Do you know this song? I don't. I don't care for it. It doesn't point me to Christ. So when we come to these evidences of a faithful believer, according to verse 9 this morning, you will find three personal duties that you need to fulfill. I need to fulfill. All right? They are personal duties. They are, you know, small circle duties. Let me call them that. And I want to start with the first duty as we come to the verse. And that is love without hypocrisy. And it's just this one verse. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Did you get that? Short, sweet, but so profound. So question, the greatest thing in the Christian, in the life of a Christian is what? Love. It is love. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Paul talks about if I have all these gifts and I have no love, what then? I'm just a noisy symbol, right? And then he talks about the three greatest is hope, love, faith, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love. Romans 13, verse 8, just one chapter ahead, perhaps even on the same page in your Bible. Paul says, Owe no one anything except what? To love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Friends, what did we sing this morning? What does the law do? I knew I was going to catch you out. What are you singing in church? All right? The law condemns. The law condemns us. Yet Paul says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What law? Jesus said, if you want to keep the whole law of God, you need to do what? What are you going to do? You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and Love your neighbor as yourself. How's that going? How's that going? How's loving your neighbor going? John 13, Jesus said to his disciples, You are to love one another, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
you don't love, you don't look like a disciple. If you don't love, you don't look anything like Jesus Christ. What is the point of our salvation after we are saved? To become like Christ. You don't love, you don't become like Christ. You don't love, the law condemns. You see the problem. All right? So love is the greatest thing. Now, 1 Peter, 2, uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 22, and if you want, you can go there. But it says the following. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a, sincerely, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's just something I want to correct here. When Peter says, having purified your souls, he's referring to having been saved. All right? Not you. You can't do that. It's a work of Christ alone. So having been saved or seeing that you are saved, love one another with a pure heart. How's that going? Hey? The result of the new birth is real love. Now to describe this, Peter uses the word ektenes. It's basically the word of stretching a muscle. Okay? It's to reach as far as possible, stretching the muscle to its absolute limit. And that's the word Peter uses or chooses when he refers to loving one another. He says, stretch yourself to the limit in showing your love to one another since you've been born again. There's no escape. Do you follow? If you are saved, what's the result? Loving each other so hard, your hamstring is cramping. Okay? Literally pulling yourself, stretching yourself in loving those around you. Well, specifically, Peter talks about the Christian loving the Christian. But I don't think we should just limit it to that. All right? So, love in this sense isn't a term to be used very loosely. Usually when we appreciate something, we say, I love that. I love coffee. I, I love roses. But this supposed love changes. It changes when the next best thing is presented to us. Ooh, I love this more than coffee. What kind of love is that? It's cheap. It, it's false. I tell you what, my love for coffee is true. Right? Just put that out there. But it's a love, if we refer to these things as I love this or that, it's a love that can be corrupted. It's not true love. Paul says, let your love be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. So Christian love, according to our verse, is cleansed from self-motivation. It's free from self-fulfillment. You don't love because I'm going to gain something out of this. You love because it's costing you stretching the extra mile. It's a real and true love. It's, it's a love that's free from play acting. 
But we have to now ask, what does hypocritical love look like? <laughs> I've, I've heard this. People say, I love so-and-so in the Lord. Have you heard that? I love so-and-so in the Lord. What is that? Hey? You, you're, you're saying, I love this person according to an obligation. Isn't it? Because why does it have to be, I love so-and-so in the Lord? Why are we limiting it to these brackets? Now, of course, there can be a true sense when someone expresses it, but personally, a lot of the time it means I can't stand them, but I'm under obligation. So I love so-and-so in the Lord. That's the only place where I love them. It's right there in the supposed presence of the Lord. Man, that's blasphemous. It isn't true love. It's an idea of love yet it's still the wrong one. So listen, hypocrisy is distasteful. It is ugly. It pretends affection, but it's filled with hate. Turn to 1 John 3, 14. Listen, shots are being fired, just coming from the Bible. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know that? Because we love the brothers. You want to ask, Pastor, how can I be sure I'm saved? My brother, my sister, how are you loving your neighbor? How are you loving your neighbor? Loving your neighbor, let me put it this way, salvation isn't dependent on how you love your neighbor. But the evidence of your salvation is revealed on how you love your neighbor. Now, go down to verse 18. And John does this very graciously. I think I should do this. He says, little children. But he's speaking to the congregation. John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We've got to see your love. We've got to see the action. We, we need to see it unfold. That's the kind of love that starts in our circle. It's the kind of love that reaches out and it meets the needs of others. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. How did he love them? He washed their feet when no one wanted to wash their feet. He prayed and, for, and healed the sick when no one else wanted to do that. Friends, that is genuine love, and it's seen in the expression of our deeds of kindness, our deeds of caring, our deeds of support. And that's the first duty. The first Christian duty is unhypocritical, honest, legitimate love. The primary duty is to love. The priority is given to love. And it has to start in our own relationships with our family, our friends, the church, everyone around us. Jared Wilson once said, we did his Bible study about two years ago. He said, 
loving others isn't about us at all. And until that sinks in, we'll never be able to love the way Christ truly loved. Loving others isn't about us at all. And until that sinks in, we'll never be able to love the way Christ truly loved. It's not about you, friends. Which brings us to the second duty, and that is to hate evil. Hate evil, verse 9b, abhor what is evil. Simple, short, powerful. So I want to ask a question once again. How can one say that they love you and still tolerate sin? How can you say, I love you and still tolerate sin? Tolerate, allow. How do you allow sin? But that's love. You can't because sin destroys every relationship. You can't entertain sinfulness. It destroys the relationship. It, it takes away the sense of true love. So anyone who truly loves, comma, has to hate evil. Psalm 97 verse 10. You who love the Lord, hate evil. It's so simple. Now why, why that? You who love the Lord, hate evil. Why that? Because God is too holy to tolerate sin. And if we are being bathed in sin, then how do we reflect God's love? How can we even entertain God's love? God is holy. Now this means He is separate. He is, he is just a term for holiness means to be set apart. And what that is saying is that God isn't like us. And the reason He is not like us is because He is holy. He is without sin. He cannot sin. Yet, Christ became sin. So you can't say He doesn't know sin. Christ took on the full measure of sin. So, it's for this reason God cannot look upon evil. In Galatians, what do we learn? That when God looks at us, what does He see? Well, for those in Christ, He sees His Son's righteousness. And for those who aren't saved, damnation. Until the point of your salvation, God sees sin. I can put it that way. But in, in Christ, God sees the righteousness of His Son. So if I truly love God, then I have to hate evil. We can even translate these words from the original language to say, be continuously hating that which is evil. Keep doing that. Don't stop. Don't take a break. There's no tea break from hating evil. It's a constant battle. It's to say that it's to say that evil isn't something we can tolerate. 
even at a lower level. Evil is something we must hate at any level, and we must hate it with a passion. Turn with me to Psalm um, 101. passage this psalm of david i will sing of the steadfast love and justice to you O lord i will make music i will ponder the way that is blameless oh when will you come to me i will walk with integrity of heart within my house i will not set my i will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless i hate the work of those who fall away it shall not cling to me a perverse heart shall be far from me I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. David says, I will keep a heart that is, that is pure. And when I meet the man who is deceitful, the liar, the sinner, I will put him out of my life. Listen, David says, or David knows the reality is you must flee from evil and at no measure can you tolerate evil David talks about eliminating evildoers now 21st century please this doesn't mean going out and killing the sinners <laughs> okay it should be interpreted in the light of Matthew 18 if your hand causes you to stumble then what cut it off I mean that's radical amputation please it doesn't literally mean go and cut off your hand if you fell in sin it refers to making it so hard for yourself to do certain things in fact making it impossible for yourself to do certain things it means to deal with sin dramatically John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Run from evil. Don't play around with it. Don't tickle it to see what it does. James says, when we entertain or give to the temptation of sin, when it is conceived, in other words, once that sin takes place, it gives birth to death. Don't mess around. Question, what can we do? Proverbs 8.13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Do you fear the Lord? You will hate evil. 
I fear the Lord. Why do you entertain evil? Why do you entertain sin? You don't fear Him. Because listen, friends, when we are playing around with sin and the temptation of sin, does the presence of God leave the room? No. God is everywhere all the time. He sees when we indulge ourselves. Don't think we can hide from Him, right? Adam and Eve in the garden playing hide and seek. God entertains their foolishness. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says the following, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, now we're a step ahead. So not only when I fear the Lord will I hate evil, but I will grow in wisdom. Because what is evil? I could list it this way. Pride, arrogance, a slandering mouth, uh, sexual immorality, slothfulness, idolatry, Jealousy, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, and so forth. Really, is that sin? Yes. It's the fruit of darkness. This is what Galatians 5 teaches us. In fact, Galatians 5 says, those who do such things will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. And then he refers to the fruit of the Spirit, right? The happy things, the song that we sing in our mind every time we come to that verse. So the question is, do you hate evil? Do you hate slothfulness, sexual immorality, drunkenness, envy, fits of anger? Do you hate the evil ways of men? Or do you tolerate them? I think we're up against an additional enemy these days that teaches a culture of tolerance, right? It's just the problem is the other side is really not tolerant at all. Censorship YouTube is going to happen. Probably have to load this up on a different platform. But it's as if we tolerate the evil around us. You enter into a conversation and there's a foul mouth. What do you do to address that? What do you do to, when, when you enter into a group of your friends and they are busy slandering someone else, what do you do about that? When someone unjustly fits about our government or the situation in our municipality, tolerate it? Do you flee from it? Do you rebuke it? Listen, I want to clarify. I'm not saying you can't struggle against these things. Because you will. And boy oh boy, for some of us, we'll struggle to our graves with these things. You'll always have a struggle against sin. None of us will ever be sinless in this world. That's just the reality. No one. There's no being saved to the uttermost 
you will always struggle with sin in this world. Our passage simply says you need to despise these things. You can be caught in sin and still be disgusted by it. Why did I just do this? There's no joy in this. Why did I just give myself to that? And so I think we need to understand what sin can do and how defiling it can be if we want to truly hate it. So the best thing for us to do is recorded in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. 1 Tess 5.22. Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain means stay away. Prevent yourself from taking part. This means that as soon as something evil appears, then get out. Flee like Joseph did. Don't wait around to figure out whether it's evil or not. If there's any doubt, my dear friends, get stepping. Move. So, the issue isn't the consequence of evil. I think that's maybe how our minds are programmed. We dislike evil because of the consequence. That if you do evil, this will happen. Are you following? You shouldn't hate evil because of the consequence it brings upon you. You hate evil because of what evil is. You hate sin for sin. Not because what sin leads to. You need to hate sin for it being sin. And so we should also hate the result of evil, but that isn't the reason for hating that which is evil. We hate evil because it's evil. We hate evil because it goes against a holy God. And if you only hate evil because of the consequence, then friends, again, you are entertaining your own selfish motives. Because... Again, illustration, rabbit trail. If you catch your child doing something they're not allowed to do, what's their reaction? I'm sorry. But but sorry for what? Are you sorry that I caught you? Or are you sorry for doing this thing? Now, nine times out of ten, the mouth won't say what the heart is, but the heart is sorry it got caught. Friends, that's us. We're just upset because we got caught. We're not upset because it goes against a holy God. And I want to tell you this. No one can hate evil on your behalf. This is a personal duty that is birthed by a personal conviction. And it brings us to the third personal duty that give evidence for a faithful believer. And that is hold to the good Hold to the good. Again, let's go back to Romans. The last part of verse 9. Hold to what is good. Cling to that which is good. So now we've gone full circle, okay? We're going full circle. So you need to love truly, which will also cause you to hate evil, 
which is continually done when you cling to the things that are good. Did you follow? All right? Full circle. Key word here is to hold or cling. It's a word that means to stick, to stick to something like glue. Another way to put it, it is to be bonded, infused together, right? So I'm sure you can agree that if you did a craft or you try to fix something and super glue gets between two fingers, it's stuck, all right? You have to wait it out unless you have some uh, remedy, but otherwise you wait it out. You don't try and split these two fused fingers until the time presents itself because you might just lose skin on one of the two, all right? To be fused together, to be stuck together. By the way, I tried this new super glue. <laughs> it was really, really intense. I have this two liter gym bottle. The problem is when it's full of water, it's quite flimsy actually. Like it can just burst at any moment. So traveling, I stopped at the stop street like every good citizen and the bottle rolls off and it hits the, the railing of the seat. Bah, there goes the bottle. And I'm devastated because it's quite a nice bottle. So I took this new glue, just as a, I didn't think it was gonna work. It literally fused the plastic together. It's insane. And I believe that that's what this refers to, is to literally become part of it. Become part of this thing. That, that there's no way of breaking you away from the things that are good so here's the deal you can love righteousness hate evil but still do evil amen because friends that's literally what happens in our lives so i need to cling to what is good says paul again what how do i do that philippians 4 verse 8 tells us finally brothers Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. So where does it start? Up here. It starts in the mind. Think on these things. That's how you start to become fused to what is good. It's a battle that takes place in the forefront of our minds, not in the back of our minds. Because the reality is this, at the same time as I work towards holding to the things that are good and dear, I am battling with sin. Sin of the flesh that is so prone to pull me away from that which is good. That is so prone to pull me away from the presence of a living and good God. We see the struggle in Romans 7.15. Paul says that we can be engaged in sinfulness and have no pleasure in it. And so you say to yourself, I don't understand. I hate this thing. Why do I do this very thing when I hate it? In fact, verse 17, Paul says that it's the sin within him 
and he hates that. If you want to look at his words, I mean, Paul says, the things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I do not want to do are the things I'm doing. And he's referring specifically to sin. So here's the comfort. When we are holding on to God's encouragement, when we hold on to God's promises, when we hold on to the spirit of grace, when we hold on to the hope that has been laid before you, we cling. We cling. You know, when, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, hold fast the confession of your faith, he is saying, hang on as if your life is depending on it. Hang on in, in the sense that if you've gone river rafting and your boat flew off the edge and there was a last branch that you grabbed on, you hang on like that. You hang on. Cling to that which is good. What is good? God is good. God is gracious and kind. God is the one who gives us the ability to endure suffering and trial. God is the one who has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Cling to what is good. Cling to your master. Listen, we are also cleansed by the word. And so we grow in the knowledge of God's word. And the more we are aware of his word, the more we will be aware of the things that are good. And we are going to be drawn to that. So friends, just in application... We've gone full circle, okay? You did well. You hung in there. You've learned that we ought to love without hypocrisy. We have to hate that which is evil. And lastly, we need to cling to that which is good. And these are personal duties that reveal to all of us around you whether you are faithful or not. Now you can try and fake it, but you'll only get tired of it. And eventually you'll fade away. And so the evidence of a faithful believer begins with a pure and true love. It begins with a hating of evil and clinging to that which is good. And if the deepest desires of your heart are to love God's people, to do what is good and to reject what is evil, my dear friends, you are on the right track. There's comfort. Heads up, chest out, trusting that the Lord is working in you. Every step as you battle sin, as you battle doubt, the Lord is with you. But if you don't share these truths, I want you to listen carefully. You need to go home and get with the Lord on a serious note. You either need to go home and bow the knee, close the bedroom door, and you need to ask God, what has happened? And you need to repent. Get right with the Lord because you cannot say you love God if, if you're not loving those around you. You cannot say you love God if you are disgusted by evil. You cannot say you love God if you're not clinging to Him. Friends, bow the knee. Because yes, as a faithful believer, we can still struggle with sin. And I'll struggle with other issues. 
but we need to grow. We need to grow. You can't fall back. You need to grow. You need to keep pushing forward. The Lord is with you. You need to keep reaching out. And that's how this little circle or this bubble becomes bigger. It starts by you fulfilling these personal duties. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to give thanks for this word this morning. We want to give thanks for the hope and the encouragement, the the joy of truth. That truly we are free indeed because of the righteousness you have given us or clothed us in. But still we, we battle. We battle against the world around us where we sometimes, I think, are just so pressured to either tolerate sin or indulge ourselves with it. But I want to pray that your spirit would truly work in our hearts and our minds to, to flee from these things. To know your goodness, to know that it's worth so much more than indulging in a sinful practice that only lasts for a moment but then just brings conviction and sorrow and grief. I want to thank you for your spirit's work in our hearts. I want to thank you for how you continue to work in our church and build up our members and even as this resource will go to them all during the week, pray that each one would faithfully attend to these words, your words, that we can grow together. So we give thanks in your name alone. Amen.